0: amen good morning church it's uh, super good to see you and excited to continue in first peter with you this morning we started the series last week Uh, we are going through first peter and then we'll roll into second peter Uh, somewhere around or just after mother's day we'll we'll wrap up second peter Uh, we made it to verse three Uh, before we get into it this morning just a quick uh highlight of our all members meeting this past sunday afternoon evening uh, for those of you who made it thanks for joining us it was an exciting meeting um, first of all just reflecting on all that god has done in our church in the last year just some examples of that by way of numbers is that um, last year was our second highest attendance year ever second only to 2019 which is right before covid um, it was a fantastic year the church is growing Uh, we had 41 new members last year, which is biggest ever. We had 20 baptized, which is our biggest year ever. It was our first year financially to break a million dollars, so like on every metric, we were like, man, last year was a great year. Even though it was really hard and difficult, God was at work, and it just, um, it was just so exciting to kind of see tangible reflections of that work just in those simple numbers, but we we recognize that those numbers represent souls they represent you and uh it was it was exciting to, to recount that together we also talked about this year some of the things that um, got us up to this year um, reorganizing our staff i'm excited about that i'm excited about my new role um, as well uh, we talked about um, the five open positions we of the five we've got three individuals in the interview pipeline right now so um, we're already excited about what God is up to this year as well. Just want to kind of give you those re- the recap. If you missed it and you want more, um, please set up a meeting with an elder. We'd love to meet with you and just go over all of that in detail. All right, so um, we are in verse three of 1 Peter one. The, um, kind of the, the context for Peter's letter is this. He's writing a letter. The Apostle Peter um, is writing a letter to Christians who are facing, suffering and trials in the form of persecution okay and it's specifically related to their faith so these christians who were his first recipients of this letter were in a a situation in the regions of asia minor where they were being persecuted we know it was more than likely now i say more than likely written under the reign of nero but just before nero launched the widespread physical persecution against Christians, where like he was physically persecuting and putting them to death. So this is just before then, more than likely, at a time where Christians were facing persecution primarily like socially, uh, within the context of, of of their society. So for example, many Christians had been deported from Rome, kicked out of Rome, and taken to the surrounding communities of Asia Minor and dropped off there, just to get them out of sight, out of mind. And so that then as we think about the world we live in today, we go, okay, so there's, there's already some connection to my daily life. Like, I don't have to look very far to begin to see um, Christians being persecuted um, socially in our country. And so many of you face that, maybe even on a daily basis. Like, you work in a place where, on a daily basis, you're being reminded um, that somebody doesn't like you or they're treating you in a certain way just because of your faith. Um, so this is the context in which the letter's written, okay? So as we pay attention to what Peter says, uh, we think about, well, how would this give me hope in my life today? How would this encourage me as I face social persecution or otherwise in the world that I live in? And what's interesting is that before Peter—this is going to be a recap of last week— before he gets to um, the reality of suffering, how hard it is, and what God is up to in your life during suffering— he starts by anchoring tethering our souls to what is true about god and so the opening of his letter before he gets to any of the details he starts with this very high view of god is this trinitarian god father spirit and son and he anchors our souls to god the father who is a foreknowing god so it's the foreknowledge of god the father and the sanctification of the holy spirit And the sacrifice of the Son. So that's what we are to anchor ourselves to so our our hope ultimately won't be found in, hey, this suffering is going to end tomorrow. But my, my soul is anchored to something that's bigger than, something that was here before the creation of the world, a God who has always been and who will always be. And that's what my soul is anchored to. Now, verse 3 begins here with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Father-Son language here. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So He's aiming our hearts towards This hope that he describes as a living hope and the first thing he really says here about this God the Father this Lord Jesus Christ is that it's according to his great mercy okay and so um, one of the things about Peter we know a lot about Peter from the Gospels like he's he can be the rowdy one Uh, he could be the one of the one of the one of the disciples who's quick to put his foot in his mouth to say something and then get corrected by Jesus very courageous but he's also the one who denied Jesus three times and then was reinstated with Jesus after the resurrection. Hey, Peter, feed my sheep. But one of the things that scholars will kind of debate about is whether or not Peter actually wrote this, not because it's not identified that Peter's writing this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but because he's using a very sophisticated version of the Greek language. He's using some $5 words that some, some would say, well, there's no way a fisherman could have had that level of education. But for the most part, scholars are like, no, 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 no. this was Peter, and, and just because he was a fisherman doesn't mean he wasn't brilliant or sharp or smart, but he was discipled by Jesus, and many of the things we'll see today even that, that Peter is drawing from are the insights from Jesus himself as he lays this letter out for us. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his mercy. That word mercy in the greek language is the same word that's used to translate the old testament word hesed which is the loving kindness of god so when you read about the love of god his kindness in the old testament if it's the hebrew word hesed it's it's the idea of god's loving kindness and so this word that that peter's using is the same word that's translated from that language from the language of hebrew to greek so in this we read according to his mercy according to his loving kindness. So now we're beginning to get an indication of what kind of God it is that we are tethering our hearts to. He is a God who is merciful, loving, and kind. And so according to his mercy, he has, this is God, he has caused us to be born again to this living hope. It's interesting here, this is one of the places where Theologians are like, really, Peter, where did you learn that word? Because that phrase, caused to be born again, is one word. It's like a $5 word in the Greek language. And it's, it's very similar to the words that Jesus uses in John 3 when he's talking about being born again in Nicodemus. It's like, hey, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? You have to be born again. And then the response was, well, how can I be born second time? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb So the concept was clear, the use of this word, but here it's a longer version of that word, and it means to to cause to be birthed or born again. Now, conceptually, this word was used to describe the process of regeneration, like to take something that was dead and make it alive. The idea that in Christ, our hearts have been regenerated, have been Caused to come to life and so this is the idea of being born again in my own personal walk with the lord this happened at the age of 15 okay so i didn't grow up in church um at the age of 14 to be sitting here in one of these chairs with you would have been really weird for me i had no 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 bearings no frame of reference for what was going on stand and sing oh is this a concert oh sit down and listen like what did i walk into this would have been all foreign to me But at the age of 15, uh, through my friend Tommy Tears, the Holy Spirit called me to go to church camp. And uh, my buddy Tommy was like, there'll be really pretty girls there. I get there, and there were pretty girls there, they just weren't looking for me. Uh, They were looking for this Jesus, and and this is where I met Jesus. This is where I heard the gospel for the first time. This is where um, faith came alive inside of me, and I believed In Jesus and Him alone for my salvation and I came home from church camp I still remember the way the room looked when I sat down with my mom to tell her what had happened I came home with a new set of eyes the world looked different I came home with a new set of ears I heard things differently I came home with a new heart this heart that had wanted nothing to do with God or religion now was madly in love with Jesus i was born again and that's the word here but what's interesting is the way that peter uses it here he uses the word that means to be caused to be born again and this will bring up spin-offs of theological debate So what does it mean that God caused me to be born again? Did God cause me to be saved? Did God choose me or did I choose him? And before I answer that question, can I just share with you my sadness? Whenever, and this is something we're thinking about, whenever we hear something like this and all we do is spin off into theological debate, we miss the point of it all. There's something worth thinking about here and discussing here. But the point of it, what Peter's making is anchor your soul to a kind and merciful God who caused you to be born again. Your salvation is sourced in God, not yourself. So did God choose me or did I choose him? Here's the answer. Yes. Let that stretch your mind. He even said at the beginning of the letter, he he referred to them as chosen exiles. God chose you. And so what he's saying to us as Christians is that when you face trials and suffering and persecution, anchor your soul to this God who caused you to be born again. And We've been born again specifically into two things. The first thing is this we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. I love the word choice here because I think we all know what it's like to be hopeful and then to be disappointed, right? To get your hopes up, to, to have them diminished. To be really excited and hopeful one day about something, a relationship, um, you know, maybe college, or a job, something, you get excited about, you're hopeful, only to have that hope diminished over time, and then to find yourself without hope in that situation. So we, we're familiar with hope that dies, but he's saying, no, 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 you've actually been born again into hope that is alive. It's a living hope. It's not a hope that's contingent on you. It's this idea that God's not calling you to muster up with inside of yourself hopefulness. He's not saying, come on, you can do better than that. You're in Christ, be hopeful. He's reminding us of this living hope that was given to us as a gift, a supernatural hope that's alive. And then I love this reference, this connection to Jesus here. We have this living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus why is that important what does that mean about our hope Romans chapter 6 verse 4 talks about being born again in this way we Christians were buried therefore with him Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when you see baptism, you're seeing a kind of a living, tangible, right in front of your very eyes, symbol of something supernatural. When a person goes under the water, it's a symbol that their life has been buried with Christ and they've been raised, they've been born again, raised to walk in a new life. In the same way, Jesus was literally raised from the dead. So just think about that. Jesus, according to the Bible, fully God, fully man, died. His heart quit beating and his lungs quit filling with air. They wrapped him in barrel cloths, put him in a tomb, and three days later, he came back to life. His heart literally started beating again. His lungs filled with air. And so this is a comparison to our spiritual life that we too have been raised. We were buried with him and that we have been raised to walk in this new life. Ephesians chapter one, verse 19 says this, and I love this. This is one of Paul's prayers over the church in Ephesus. And he's praying Um, for their knowledge of the goodness of God essentially in chapter 1 in verse 19 he says and I want you to know this what is the immeasurable greatness of his power how much power you can't measure it the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe so somehow right what Paul's describing here is that God has taken this power that's immeasurable and he's like poured it out on you so that we would come to the knowledge of what is this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might and then look at verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places how much power? Like, think about it. If you believe in the resurrection, how much power did it take to cause a human body that had been dead for three days to come back to life? I can't do that. You can't do that. Like, there's no power on earth that we have access to that could cause that to happen. It's, an, it's immeasurable. It's far greater than the kind of power. I mean, we've got nuclear power fission and nuclear fusion and all this power in our hands but we don't have that kind of power the same power that raised jesus from the dead is working in you that's living hope it's not a hope that's hinging on your power your strength Yeah, some days you walk in, you're like, I'm feeling it. I'm hopeful. I feel like I'm on top of things. I've got it together. If that hope is rooted in your own strength, guess what's going to happen like two days from now? I mean, right? Our strength and our hope within ourselves is so fickle. Like, I mean, I'm toying with the idea of being really lighthearted here, but it's like, let's just be honest, like, Dak throws one pick and our hope is diminished like really isn't that sad not for all but some of us you went into that game hopeful and you came out on the other end feeling pretty skeptical about next season right that's what human hope feels like this kind of hope is alive And it's empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's inside of you working right now. Next chapter, Ephesians 2 says this, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, so complete hopelessness, God, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly so like our hope in the midst of suffering is living because god has made us alive god has caused us to be born again god has given us a permanent seat in his kingdom like it's important as a christ follower what is to come is is fixed it's already decided it's not like a cowboys game up in the air It's not going to catch us off guard. When you are saved, you are born again, and the Spirit of God begins to work in you powerfully, causing the dead heart to become alive, giving you this living hope. And what Peter is saying is like, hey, there's something coming. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy and chesed loving kindness who caused us to be born again into this living hope through the resurrection of jesus and not only have we been born again to this living hope he says to the, in the next verse we've also been born again to an inheritance that is what is to come an inheritance that's similar to the old testament language um, that would maybe describe the promised land that was the inheritance of god 's people, and we talked about this last week in Roman or excuse me Hebrews eleven talks about the men and women of the Old Testament who died in faith, having not yet attained the thing that they were hoping for, that they saw the promises of God at a distance and greeted them from a distance, and then they passed away, not ever having fully received the inheritance that was promised. And the author of Hebrews says, here's why. They were looking forward to a better city whose designer and builder was God, not one that could be built with human hands. So while they may have made it to geographic Israel, some of them, it still wasn't enough. They were still longing for something that is to come, which is their eternal inheritance. This is what Peter's calling us to. He's saying not only have you been born again to this living hope that's working in you day every day, but you also have an inheritance that's coming. And then listen to how he describes this inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Big words. Here's what they mean. The idea of imperishable here is freedom from death or decay. He's saying our inheritance can't be touched by death or decay. The idea of undefiled is a freedom from uncleanliness or moral impurity. Your inheritance can't be tainted by the schemes of Satan or evil. There's no no chance that you're going to get to eternal life and realize that Satan has messed it up for you. He can't get there. Evil can't touch your inheritance. And then the last word here is unfading. It's the freedom from the ruining effect of age or time. We, we know that one, don't we? <laughs> I was standing uh, before the first service out here, and somebody had spilled some water in the commons, and a young man came by, and he slipped, and he goes, "Whoa!" Oh. he went and got some napkins. And granted, this, this kid's 11, and within like half a second, he's on the floor wiping it all up, and he hops back up. And I was standing there going, whoa. And I think maybe it was one of our greeters was there. I'm not sure, maybe Holly or somebody was there. And they were like, oh my gosh, if I'd have done that, I'd still be down there. I was like, not me. I'd still be standing here trying to figure out how to get down there. Because I understand all too well how age and time ruin the body. That's the idea of unfading. It's freedom from the ruining effect of age or time. So your inheritance is not getting stale or outdated or ruined. It's not getting moldy. If anything, it's getting brighter. Day by day, as you, as you draw nearer and nearer, it's getting brighter. I, I, like, I was reading some commentaries this week, and one I appreciated um, was F.W. Uh, Bear. Or Beer, he described it this way. He says, it's an inheritance that is untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. It's like that simple wording. That is your inheritance. So you've been born again into this living hope, and you've been born again into this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It is untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. It's similar to what Jesus was talking about in uh, in Matthew uh, when he says this. Uh, This is in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, don't Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then look at how he describes the treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's, right? That's the same thing that Peter's talking about. Where evil can get to it or where decay can get to it. Don't store up your treasures there. But instead, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Peter's just pulling from this teaching here. He's he's encouraging us to attach our hearts to the treasure of our inheritance. In the midst of suffering, if you lash your heart, attach your heart to things on earth, you will be disappointed every time. You You will experience diminishing hope or dying hope. What Peter is encouraging us to lash our hearts to is a heavenly treasure. And look at what he says about our heavenly treasure, that it is kept in heaven for you. Oh, good. I'll never forget, uh, on my way to a funeral one time, I've been a Christian about three years, and I was on my way to a funeral, and I was with some relatives, and one of the relatives in the car made a comment about losing your salvation, and just said, I really hope this family member that we're going to go to the funeral for, I hope he was saved on the day that he died, and I was like, what do you mean by that? Wasn't he a Christian? Well, no, 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 I know he was a Christian at one point, I just hope that when he died, he was ready, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and this family member was like, well, yeah, you mean you got to be ready, like, you can lose your salvation at any minute, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's, what's that all about? And Through this discussion, it really spurred me on to go back to the gospel and go, well, I don't know that I want to lash my heart to a gospel that's that fickle, that's dependent on me. I mean, there are days where I'm holding the hand of Jesus, walking through life, crushing it. There are a lot of days where I'm flat on my back, looking up, going, oh, God, save me. I'm out of energy. I'm out of strength. I'm out of power. I'm out of hope. I need something bigger than me. And so we had this discussion. I was like, hey, good luck with your gospel. I'm believing in a gospel that says that God is keeping my inheritance for me. It's being kept in heaven for you. It's not up to you to keep it. And you, look at the rest of this. an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled and fading, kept in heaven for you, who, and you're the who, by God's power, there's the power again, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so we might be tempted to go, oh, okay, okay, as long as I keep the faith, as long as I keep my strength up and my faith, then I get the inheritance. But if I ever start to waver or doubt, I lose it. Now, problem with that is your faith is a gift from God some of you are like wait 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 no 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 that's my faith yeah it's a gift from God Ephesians 2 8 9 says you're saved by grace through faith you go yes see as long as I have my faith and then Paul goes on to say what this is a gift from God and he even goes further and says so that you don't get to boast It's not a faith that's contingent on your works. It is a gift from God, so you don't boast. And so I'm like, how do I wrap my mind around that? I don't know. But I'm so thankful that there is a faith inside of me that was given as a gift from God, supernatural, so that when I'm flat on my back, I don't have to get saved again. This is this living hope. One of the ways that I, I, I think about this, and I understand it even in my own story, is this. And this is going to come up in a minute. I think inside of each of us who are in Christ, if you're in Christ, there's a supernatural faith that's been given to you as a gift. It's opened your eyes to see, and your ears to hear the gospel, and it's this powerful thing, full thing God is doing in you, and stirs this, 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 this affection in you, and even stirs faith. But I'll be honest with you, any faith inside of me that is rooted in me and my understanding or my strength, it it goes up and down. And something happens when I go through hard times, that faith gets refined. And what is not genuine or sincere gets burned away. Let's look at what, we'll get there in just a second. So verse 6, about this treasure, this inheritance of being kept and guarded, Peter then says in verse 6, In this you rejoice. Okay? What's the this? Verses 3, 4, and 5. We just went through it all. So take all that, this merciful God who's caused you to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance, that's being kept for you, and you're being guarded, because of this, you rejoice. Now, what's interesting is, in the midst of persecution, Peter is actually calling us to rejoice. Not just hang in there, but rejoice. And so he says, in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved, crushed, by various trials okay so there's kind of two tracks of thought here i'm going to tell you the one that i believe is heresy there would be some who would say all you need to do is have the power of positive thinking just start rejoicing and your circumstances will change just muster up a bunch of happiness and then everything will smooth out okay that's not true, and that's not what Peter's calling us to. There's another line of thought here that would say this, hey, what you're going through is really hard, and it's okay to be honest about it. It's okay to say, hey, I'm facing test results, and I'm scared. Hey, I just lost this thing in my life that meant a lot to me, and I'm just really grieved and sad about it. So the idea isn't that I just minimize the suffering so I can rejoice. It's the idea that we're honest about how difficult things are. Grieved at times. Grieved. Crushed by the trials. And Peter isn't saying your trials are small. What he is saying is in your big trials, your God is bigger. That's the line of thinking here. And so he says, yeah, you have been for a while, if necessary, grieved by various trials. Now, this doesn't mean that we go out looking for a lifestyle of suffering. Matter of fact, this word trial here, just doing some research this week, this is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. When he says this, lead us not into temptation, it's the same Greek word. Lead us not into trials, but deliver us from evil is the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. So just because we can rejoice when things are hard doesn't mean we go out looking for things that are hard. It's okay to say, oh dear God, deliver me from this trial. That does in no way void the truth I have inside of me to rejoice. I can say, dear God, deliver me from this trial and rejoice in the same breath listen church rejoicing doesn't always look like standing to your feet singing at the top of your lungs with your hands in the air and a smile on your face sometimes it does man sometimes for me rejoicing is when i'm in my office and i've got the door shut and the blinds closed and i am crying out to god god i'm having a bad day it's just hard i'm scared i'm lonely angry i'm hurt and when i show up with god in that way guess what he does he shows up with me with his mercy and his loving kindness and my ability to go okay i still have hope sometimes that's what my rejoicing looks like sometimes you can't even hear it because it's happening in here And so the idea here is not the power of wishful thinking. Just think it and it will be. That is heresy. And that's the name of it gospel. And it will leave you disappointed every time. In this we rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, we have been grieved by various trials. Now he's going to go on to talk about the powerful work of God in us in the midst of trials what is god up to I'm gonna say something first so many times we want god to start here when we're going through suffering help me understand what you're doing and then i'll be okay with it hey sometimes you don't get that information like you, you we don't have access to the director's cut and sometimes the story doesn't end the way we want it to end Okay, so the idea here isn't, okay, if I can understand what you're doing, then I'll be okay with it. Oh, you're causing me to go through suffering so I can help somebody else. Does God do that? Yes. But that's not what we're anchoring our hope to. What if God doesn't use your suffering to help anybody else? But is God working and is he up to something? Absolutely. Verse 7, so that. So we've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. I I talked about that earlier, about being refined. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in something. So here's the idea. You take a bunch of rubble and there's gold in the rubble and you stick it in the fire. What happens is the fire burns the The rubble, the chaff, burns all the, the impurities away and you pull back, what you pull back out is pure gold. The fire doesn't make the rubble gold. It burns away that which is not gold. Okay? So you go into suffering or hardship with faith and maybe a few other things attached to it, like superstition and maybe some false beliefs. And what happens is God refines your faith in the testing. And on the back end of suffering, what comes out of the furnace is what? Sincere, genuine faith. So he says this, here's gonna be the result that we may be, or that our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, I believe, is a reference to the second coming of Christ. I I believe that's what he's pointing at here, saying, listen, you may not be able to look back and understand everything, Day one after cancer goes into remission or day one after marriage gets restored. But there's coming a day at the revelation of Jesus, you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to see the honor and the glory and the blessing in what you've been through. Though you have not seen him, and this is where our faith empowers us. If you're going through something really hard, like I want you to think about this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. How do you do that? How do you love one whom you've not seen? That's faith. That's evidence that God is working in you. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just a couple other references here. Ultimately what Peter's getting at is when you're going through hard things, latch your heart onto this God, this triune God who doesn't change. Latch your heart, attach your heart to this truth that he caused you to be born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And he he has an inheritance being kept for you. Latch your heart to those things. But in real time, on the ground in your life, know that God is also working and refining your faith. And the evidence is simply in this. You haven't seen him, but you love him. You haven't seen him, but you believe in him. You haven't seen him, but your heart can still rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Like a rejoicing that doesn't make sense, it's filled with glory. James says it this way Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, refined like pure gold. Paul says it this way in Romans five: five Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because it's a living hope. It's not going to let you down. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Just a few concluding thoughts here. I find this to be true. Satan's strategy is to assault the love of God in our suffering. That's his greatest strategy. The tempter comes and whispers things in our ears when we're facing trials and temptation. He says things like this. See, God doesn't love you. Or see, God can't be good if he's allowing this to happen to you. Or you aren't good enough to be one of God's children. Satan will show up and whisper, see, this is your fault. Peter is calling Christians to rejoice, even though we are being put to the test. This doesn't mean that we should look for suffering as a way of life. Jesus's prayer isn't, Father, lead us into temptation. Instead, Jesus is asking the Father to lead us away from temptation and evil. Peter is saying that in this life of being chosen exiles, we will encounter passing suffering and trials of evil. But this does not keep us from rejoicing because we rejoice in our salvation, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and a gift from God that is being kept in heaven for you and by the way, you are being guarded by the power of God through faith. So I'm going to just wrap up with a few questions for us to think about What is this? what this might look like in everyday life. First of all, I want you to think about this. What's the difference between being born again versus just resetting? There's a kind of a mindset with God I see sometimes. It's like we take our dry erase board into God's office and we like put it on the easel and we go, yeah, I've kind of messed things up. Holy Spirit, will you erase all that and let me start over? Okay, the problem with that is I'm going to take that dry erase board and what am I going to do? I'm going to fill it back up. All right, so that's resetting. Just wipe the slate clean. Give me, a, give me a second chance. I'll do better this time. So what's the difference between being born again versus just resetting? I just want you to think about that. What do these words say to you? What do the words imperishable, undefiled, and unfading tell you about your inheritance? This is God's description of your inheritance. What does it tell you about your inheritance as a Christian? And how, speaking of this inheritance, how does your future inheritance in Christ compel you to rejoice today? even in the midst of suffering and trials? How does that future inheritance, how does it compel you to rejoice? And then this last question, i want to just take a second. Um, this really matters, okay? It really matters what I'm about to ask. Before I ask it, would you just take a second to think about where you are with God? I can't answer that for you. Where are you with God? with that in mind, I want to ask this last question. Have you come to the place in your journey where you have been born again by placing your faith in Jesus alone for your eternal salvation? I told you a little bit of my story. I was 15 when I placed my faith in Jesus and I was born again. Have you come to the place in your journey where you have been born again? If the answer is no, with all the sincerity I can muster up, please come talk to us today. In just a moment, and our worship team's gonna come out and sing, and our prayer partners are down at the front. They would love to hear from you. Like, hey, I've, I, don't, this is, I don't know what that means to be born again. I don't know what it means to put my faith in. Would you come talk to us? Like, please, like, I'm, don't do it for me. Don't do it for the person sitting next to you. Like, for you, you're worth that. Jesus died to give you that gift. I'm just asking that you would come and receive it. If you've got questions about something that came up today, and maybe this idea of wrestling with God choosing me, or did I, like, whatever your questions are, or questions about the church, would you come grab one of our elders? We'll be out in the commons area. We'll, have, we'll put on lanyards so you'll know who we are if you're new here. We'd we'll love to answer questions about anything going on or even pray for you there. So I'm going to pray for us now. Worship team's coming back out and then we're going to respond. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we confess um, God, you are a good God. You are merciful. You are kind. You are slow to anger. You are patient. I just thank you, Father, for describing yourself in ways that God allow us to see Just how big and how magnificent how powerful you are oh god what a hopeless world this would be if you were like us so i just want to praise you for being bigger than and lord jesus we thank you for your sacrificial death that beautiful expression of love not a person in this room who's experienced that kind of love apart from you You have loved us well. You died on the cross for our sins. You rose again on the third day. God, that we might put our hope and trust in you and you alone. Oh, Holy Spirit, now as we get ready to respond, I pray you would be living and active in this room, stirring in our hearts, igniting faith, giving courage, comfort, conviction. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you work in us today? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.